Hello and welcome to Matanzerus, a baseball podcast. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Ryan Medeiros, and we got a jam-packed show for you guys today. Not only will we give you guys our free agency predictions, but we got some headlines to talk about as well. Drew Smiley signed a one-year $11 million deal with the Atlanta Braves to bolster their starting pitching depth. The Epstein steps down as president of the Chicago Cubs with one year remaining on his contract. And Robinson Cano, for the second time in his career, has tested positive for PEDs. This time, Stono Lozal, the diuretic back in 2018, now suspended for 162 games. Ryan, let's start off with Drew Smiley, then go in order from there. What were your thoughts on this move? $11 million for Drew Smiley going to the Braves. Well, you have to be really happy if you're Drew Smiley. This is a guy who struggled in his career, not only with consistency, but with health. I think this is a really, uh, you know, high reward type deal for a team like the Atlanta Braves. Smiley showed in, in a small sample size this year, seven, uh, seven appearances, five starts. He had a 3-4-2 ERA in a, like, an amazing 198 opponent average, 42 strikeouts in 26 and a third innings, so... Great numbers there for Smiley in a small sample size, like I said, this year. But I think if you're the Braves, you're looking for him to expand upon that in a regular season with 162 games. Uh, you're hoping for, really, if you're the Braves, just some more consistency in the starting rotation. I'm not sure if you're going to get that consistency from a guy like Smiley. But if he gives you 20, say, really high-quality starts, that's something to be happy for. And for $11 million, that's uh, not too bad right there. No doubt. And I mean, I'll be honest, and I know you know it. I was kind of surprised when I first saw this, and I was a victim of looking at the stat sheet a little bit too quickly. But when you go deeper into it and look at the metrics, the velocity has gone up. You talked about the strikeout percentage. And not only that, but if you even take his numbers when he was traded over to the Phillies and then add that to what he put together with the Giants last year in 25 innings, there is a lot to be encouraged about. The area was just a bit north of four in that span. And I think, again, as you said, that Braves don't need an ace. They already have that in Max Freed. Soroka will be back as well. But we saw in the postseason this year with some injuries and some tough breaks, they lacked pitching depth. And I think Smiley, when healthy, can be a good middle-of-the-rotation guy for you and from the left side as well. So I, I think this could work out for them. He's been, like the last year and a half, ever since he's come back from Tommy John, he hasn't been able to get deep into the ball games, averaging about four or five innings per game. But you know what? That's the game today. You know, maybe the Braves want to use an opener with him and have him eat up those the second through sixth innings, or maybe they're going to try and stretch him out. And that was just teams trying to build him back up from the Tommy John. Either way, we'll see what happens. But it's not as bad as it looks. And again, in this market too, very not not very weak, but fairly weak in terms of starting pitchers. So it'll be interesting to see how the other moves will react to it and what a Tanaka will get or an Odorizzi will get compared to Smiley, who made $11 million. Let's move on to the next one here. Theo Epstein stepping down as the president of the Chicago Cubs. Had one year on his deal left. He said that he didn't think it was necessary for him to make moves in such a huge time of transition for the Chicago Cubs if he wasn't going to be there for the long term. I honestly thought this was such a respectable move by him. Left about $10 million on the table and very, very unselfish. What were your thoughts on this and where do you think the Cubs are heading going forward now? Yeah, this was a really interesting move by Theo Epstein. Just a guy who, in the big scheme of things, is a real legend in the game. Uh, kind of took away the curse of the Bambino for the Red Sox, ended up getting them their first world championship in a long time. And the same thing with the Chicago Cubs, took them around and turned their whole uh, franchise around and won them a World Series in 2016. So again, Epstein, you can't speak to enough about just everything that he's done in the game. But uh, overall, like you said, a real respectable move by Epstein. He recognizes the fact that with one year left on his deal, it's not 
really it really wouldn't have been a great look for him to either way to try and go for it just because it's his last year or to tear everything down when he's probably not even going to be there in the future. So for Epstein, I think in this period of transition, uh, he just felt it was best to step down and let someone else who's going to be there during the next phase of the Chicago Cubs franchise, let them make those decisions. No doubt, and they do have some tough decisions to make. We already know that Chris Bryant has been rumored to be traded for now multiple off-seasons consecutively. But Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo will all be free agents after 2021, Wilson Contreras after 2022. So there are some decisions to be made here for the Cubs. I don't necessarily think they'll tear everything apart and go into full rebuild, but I definitely think they're going to try and take a step back and try to, you know, expand their window for maybe 2023 and on here, just because they still have some valuable pieces. They still have guys like Darvish under a long contract if he could pick up where he left off next year. Uh, and maybe they try to extend a Rizzo. He's the heart and soul of that team. What direction do you think the Cubs are going in? Well, I think the bottom line is that you're not going to be able to pay all of these Absolutely, guys. So. Yeah. So what you have to do is maybe pick or choose one or two guys that you want here long-term and then try and reset for the next couple of years. I don't think this is going to be like what the Astros did where they just tore it all down, had multiple 100 lost seasons, and then tried to build up from the from the bottom up. Because again, I think the Cubs is more of like what the Red Sox are trying to do. They trade away maybe some of their superstars or guys that are on that higher tier of talent like Chris Bryant and uh, try and set themselves up for maybe a two- or three-year reset. Like you said, maybe 2023, they're going to try and really go for it. Because the bottom line is also that this team, if they kept it the same as it is, could still be competitive. They finished first in the National League Central this past year, so if you kept all these guys, Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, obviously Darvish at the head of the rotation, along with Hendricks, this team will be really competitive, but I think you got to you got to ask yourself the question if you're of the if you're Jed Hoyer who is now the general manager for the Cubs you got to ask yourself do we want to be competitive this year even though we don't really think we can get to the, that World Series or do we want to try and reset and really be competitive for multiple years in the mid 2020s no doubt and I think some fans who don't you know aren't as into it as maybe you or I are going to probably look at this if you're if they're a Cubs fan and be a little disappointed that they're letting these guys go but the reality of it is is if you're paying you know five guys or so 17 plus million dollars you know that's only 20 percent of your team you have to pay 20 other guys as well and it would be a little bit more cost effective and healthy for their payroll if they held on to a couple of guys in large deals and then maybe tried to build back up and acquire some guys who are on the brink of coming to the MLB level that could play an impact in a year or two to come just to reiterate but yeah it'll be interesting to see what route they go to last headline one that Made me very sad. Robinson Cano suspended for PEDs for the second time in his major league career. Will now serve a 162-game suspension in which the Mets will get the $22 million back from that contract to spend. I believe the Mariners will get their $2 million back as well. Before I get into it, because I know I have a lot to say, what were your reactions to it? Well, you were sad, as I know. I was more just annoyed. It's not hard. It's really simple. Don't cheat. It's not complicated. Just don't cheat. I understand that Cano wants to extend his career, and we talked a little bit about this. So you kind of, looking at it from his perspective, mentioned to me that, you know, he's getting older. He was probably doing this just to extend his career. He never tested positive during, you know, his peak when he was with the Yankees for anything. So Makes I'm sure wonder, he though. was doing, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, know, I feel I like, know. you know, I'm sure he was doing that clean as also. But, I hope so. Uh, it's just it's just so annoying to me that players, and it stems back to the Astros thing when they cheated. I know it's a whole different type of cheating there, 
But if you're Canelo, like, what are you doing? You're ruining your whole legacy by doing this. I know he's trying to extend his career and he wants to be more successful. And I, I don't know the details of taking this drug, but I would assume the goal of it is to make you stay healthy and stronger for longer through your career. But, you know, you've already established that you're a great player. Why taint your career with something like this? No doubt. And I, I honestly think if he, even if he, you know, didn't take roids the second time, he still would have had a Hall of Fame case. But now it's basically completely off the table here, especially since it's not like his numbers are completely overwhelming. They're great, don't get me wrong, especially for a second baseman, but not enough to eliminate the fact that he took steroids twice. And I go look back to 2017. This is when it really started to kick in with the Mariners. They had a ton of injuries that year, including Robinson Cano. And it was really the first time in his career he had landed on the IL and missed a large portion of games. Next season, 2018, he gets busted for PEDs. Don't know if that was at the end of 2017 or in the off season or at the beginning of 2018, but he was busted for the diuretics, which are to flush something out of your system, which obviously means he was trying to get something out of his system that could have been a little suspect. Same story, 2019 comes over to the Mets. Obviously, a lot of pressure. Fans did not love that trade by any means to take on the Cano deal. Gets hurt after being criticized for not running balls down the first baseline, running ground balls down the first baseline. Next day, runs one out and pulls his hamstring. I believe that's what happened. And then gets hurt a second time as well. And then takes it again in 2020. So obviously here, he's noticing he can't play up to that $24 million deal or $24 million annual value. And is trying to make up for it by at least playing every day. Obviously had really good numbers back in 2020 as well in a small sample size. But it still can't happen, like you said. It's unacceptable and really tragic for a guy who I looked up to as a kid and is a guy who I remember. I remember in 2015, got off to a terrible start, was going through some abdominal issues, did not tell anyone until August or September. That's how respectful, or not respectful, but how classy he was and how he carried himself. A guy who led by example, was respected throughout the entire league, league had sort of a Derek Jeter type representation wasn't very flashy with his personality but did things for the, the right way for the most part was an incredible leader and played the game the right way and it's a shame that that really is all tainted now just because of two positive PE tests when he was what 35 and 37 years old and it breaks my heart honestly I remember the first time in 2018 I was really devastated especially him being on the Mariners and here again even though it should make me feel better that the Mariners got his contract off their payroll and now we don't have to worry about that but it still does make me sad because he was a childhood hero of mine and it is what it is I hope that he can come back at age 39 and 40 and put somewhat good seasons together but Hall of Fame is out of the picture now for me in my opinion Alrighty, let's move on to these free agency predictions there after that long ramble. Let's start off with one of the biggest names, Ryan, JT Romito, former Philadelphia Philly, a guy who's said to look for one of the biggest catcher contracts in Major League history. The biggest one was Joe Maurer after his MVP season, an eight-year extension that was worth $184 million. Ryan, let's talk about these catchers. Where do you have JT Romito going at number one? Well, this really boils down to two main teams that I think are going to go into a full-blown bidding war, and I think that's the New York Mets, who have a major hole behind the plate, and the Philadelphia Phillies, who Real Muto would be leaving to go to the Mets. I ultimately, having him go to the Mets as, you know, with Steve Cohen taking over, they have a lot of money to spend. You mentioned Cano being suspended. That's going to free up a lot of money also for the Mets to spend. I think ultimately it's going to come down to a bidding war and the New York Mets are going to win that bidding war just because they have the more money. 
It's funny because that was my exact bullet point. It is going to be a bidding war, and the Mets have more of a reason to spend money this offseason than the Phillies. And I think it's a guy that they really would like because when was the last time they had you know a reliable catcher behind the plate? Travis Darno was good, but obviously not the Travis Darno he is today. I mean, you could go back to Paul LaDuca or Mike Piazza, but again, those guys weren't spectacular defensively. And all of those three guys that I mentioned don't have the flux of tools that JT Realmuto has, where he's a spectacular defender, a spectacular hitter, not just in terms of a catcher, but overall as well. Incredibly athletic, can lead a pitching staff, a pitching staff that has had to pitch to Wilson Ramos the last two years, who's a liability behind the dish. We all know Syndergaard's opinions on him and so forth. I think it's definitely worth the investment for him, especially with the prowess of that pitching staff. And he could play a huge impact for him, and I think he'll be, you know, really the first high-impact catcher they'll have in over 10, 15 years from now. So I agree, JT Real Mito to the New York Mets. Now, another big option, and I think it's interesting to see the jump in catchers in free agency. You go from JT Real Mito, who's the best catcher in the game, down to James McCann, who is another really good catcher, a 2019 All-Star, put up a good year with the Chicago White Sox as well this year and was a Gold Glove finalist. Where do you see him going now if – JT Realmuto signs with the Mets. It's really interesting. You mentioned the drop down from Realmuto to McCann. It's actually not as big of a drop as I think many people think. McCann was a finalist in both the Silver Slugger Award and the Gold Glove Award, which is kind of shocking. I'm sure he was one of the few catchers to do that in a long time. But um, we talk about the two teams that have such a glaring need behind the plate, the Mets and the Phillies. And I think this this is really interesting because it could come down to McCann ends up which, with whichever team yeah. Real Muto doesn't sign with or some other team jumps in the race and snags McCann while other teams are you know bidding over Real Muto. But I think it's going to end up uh, happening that the Phillies end up signing James McCann. I think that you know the Mets are going to end up getting Real Muto in the end because they're going to spend the more money. And the Phillies will end up going for McCann because he's basically quite simply the next best option available. No, I don't mean to play copycat, but that's exactly what I had in mind as well. Again, as you mentioned, the two teams with the biggest holes behind the plate now, knowing that the Phillies potentially won't have JT Real Muto back. And I like that you brought up the Silver Slugger and Gold Glove finalists as well. A guy who's been on the brink. You know, I remember him coming up with the Tigers and then moving over to the White Sox. Very under the radar, but has been very, very good. I think he'll look good in a Phillies uniform as well if that does happen. Uh, and then Yadier Molina, the third big name on that list, or at least that we're going to talk about today. Now, there's been rumors that the New York Mets and the New York Yankees could potentially be interested in him, which would be interesting. And I think for the Yankees, after the struggles with Gary Sanchez, it would definitely be a statement to bring in a guy and a leader like Yadier Molina. But I can't see Yadier Molina not in a Cardinals uniform. I think, honestly, I'd like to see him finish his career there. I think he loves it there. He knows that pitching staff. I know Adam Wainwright's a free agent now, too. But I think it, it should be somewhat of a priority for the Cardinals to bring both of those guys back. I know they need to work on that offense big time, and on paper that should be the priority. But I, I'd like to see both of the, go, those guys go back to St. Louis as well. Yeah, no doubt. Molina has to return to the Cardinals. Just it, I think for both him and the Cardinals, they both are such a great fit for other. Pretty simple answer there. St. Louis Cardinals for Molina. All righty, let's move over to first base now. This one's interesting. Some interesting names. Uh, Carlos Santana, the number one guy, obviously. Then you got guys like Mitch Moreland, Eric Thames, CJ Crone, who, again, put up solid numbers with the Tigers this year when healthy. Uh, and then there's Drupal Cabrera as well. Let's start off with Carlos Santana. Obviously a career Indian. Was just finishing up his second stint with him. Where do you see him going? Yeah, Carlos Santana is another one of those really overlooked free agents in my mind. This is a guy when... 
you know, he's on. He's been really, really productive at the first base position. I have him returning to the Indians. His one stint with another team, he played with the Philadelphia Phillies briefly for one year. He didn't have too much success there. He returned to the Indians the next year, and he was really, really good. So I think the Indians is just the perfect fit for Santana, and he's been the most successful there in his career. People forget he was a Mariner for a couple weeks, too, as the Mariners got him in the Gene Segura trade, traded him back to the Indians for Edwin Encarnacion. And you're right, you know, Santana's a guy that plays every day. Obviously, had a really difficult season last year, but generally has been very good. A high slugger, a high on base guy. I think for an Indians offense that really struggled last year, just makes sense to bring him back. I don't think he'll be too expensive, but their payroll's in fantastic shape as well. So I, I think they could definitely pull it off. Let's move over to second base now. We got some other options here. I'm going to start off with the underrated guy before we get to the big name, DJ LeMahieu. I know you have some big thoughts on Tommy Listell. You've been talking to me about this for a couple weeks. Why don't you share them to the rest of the listeners right here? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a hometown guy, Boston Red Sox. I just see Tommy Listell as such a great fit. I see them signing him to a a one, two-year deal, help fill some of the hole there at second base before Jeter Downs comes up, and can also spell Bobby Dahlbeck at first base against some tough right-handers. I just see Listella as a great fit for the Red Sox as he can fill in on that right side of the infield at both positions. He has experience at both those positions and is a veteran guy. Yeah, and I think you can get him for a decent price as well, especially when you look at some of the other guys on the market right now, just because he's always been there, as you said, a veteran piece, but is also an all-star in 2019, uh, has some experience in the postseason as well with the Cubs and now the Athletics here this past season too. Uh, for whoever gets him, I think it's definitely going to be under the radar, but a guy that's almost low-risk, high-reward in a way. I don't see him getting anything more than $10 million. What do you think the margin will be at? I could see a two-year, $5 million deal. If you're, <clears throat> if you're Tommy Lestella, that I think that would be a perfectly fine deal, especially for a guy who was a bench guy over the past few years until he broke out, like you said, with the Angels and became an all-star. But I don't think teams on the free agent market are going to view him as an all-star, especially with the top guy at second base, as I know you'll bring up in a second. Yep, DJ LeMahieu. And I'll start off with my prediction here. I know everyone's thinking New York Mets now. Uh, with the Robinson Cano suspension. But to be honest with you, I don't know if that's quite necessary. One, because now Jeff McNeil can play at his natural position at second base. But two, it's going to cost a lot of money, and the New York Yankees need to bring this guy back. I think this is what holds this entire New York Yankees team together. He stayed healthy ever since he's put pinstripes on. Uh, he's led the Yankees in games, war, runs batted in, win probability added. The list goes on. He's so important to this team, not just because of his versatility, but plays above average defense, a great offensive player, not just winning the batting title, but back-to-back top four MVP finishes. I was listening to MLB Now last night. It was like a 1 a.m. watch for me. I was really grinding it out. And Brian Kenny talked about how 21 of the 27 home runs that DJ LeMay, who has hit this season, would not go, or hit at Yankee Stadium, excuse me, in his career, would not have gone out at any other ballpark. They would probably get down for extra base hits, you know, and I think the batting average supports that. But this stadium, Yankee Stadium, was built for DJ LeMahieu. He succeeds there. He can handle the pressure of the Bronx. There's no doubt in my mind they should bring him back. Yeah, no doubt about it. LeMahieu to the Yankees seems like the obvious choice. But I am going to go with my first bold prediction of this free agency. A team that just has found out they're going to have a big hole at second base. They just lost or, or actually got rid of their previous second baseman, a gold glover who is due 12 million. Oh, I so it. I guess okay. they're looking for, uh, they're looking for, um, they're looking to free up some money there. They're in desperate need of offense. And I, that is the St. Louis Cardinals. I, like I know that. they don't typically, they don't typically spend a whole lot of money, 
But I think if you're the Cardinals, who have been kind of just good but not great recently, LeMahieu is a guy that you need to go out and get to get that punch at the top of the lineup. They haven't had a consistent leadoff hitter since Matt Carpenter's prime, really. I think LeMahieu would fit in so well. Put him with Paul Goldschmidt, two just steady guys on the right side of that infield, and I think those two guys could be stars in St. Louis for the next five or so years. I I'm not I'm gonna I'm I absolutely love that I don't know if it will happen but it does make a lot of sense especially given that they've been a playoff team the last two years and just cannot hit and DJ LeMahieu is the purest hitter of all these free agents arguably so I like that move we'll see if it happens uh, other second baseman worth noting Colton Wong as you mentioned Jonathan VR Cesar Hernandez again another very underrated guy as well do you see any of those three guys going into any to any notable teams? I think Colton Wong would be a nice fit with the Angels. I think they'll keep David Fletcher at short. They could do one of two things because Fletcher's so versatile. I think the Angels could opt to flip Fletcher to second and sign one of the many shops available. Or they could keep him at short where he's been pretty adequate defensively, if not above average, and bring in another really above average guy in Colton Wong to put in at second base. So I think that would be a nice fit there. No, I agree, and I, I think for any team, too, that's struggling defensively, I mean, if you want I don't think Colton Wong would be a good fit with the New York Mets, but they're a team that notoriously have struggled with infield defense. You bring in Colton Wong, that's a guy who can instantly make an impact on the defensive side of things, so that will be interesting to see where he goes. Let's move to the hot corner now, third base. This one's a little bit of a weaker market, too. Now, I know we have some big names, notably on the market right now for trades, but the biggest name on free agency for third base is Justin Turner, and for me... I think he's going back to the Dodgers. I don't think there's a better fit for him. But, you know, Nolan Arenado is looming in the trade talks. If that were to happen and I were to have to pick another team, I would say either the St. Louis Cardinals are a good fit or the Toronto Blue Jays. The Cardinals, because, as you mentioned, Matt Carpenter falling out of his prime, a sub-700 OPS last year. Turner, a veteran, a great hitter, good defender, would be good to insert there as well. And then with the Blue Jays, too, a very young team. Travis Shaw struggled a lot last season. Again, same story, a veteran presence that could be a very good hitter in the middle of their lineup and put together good stuff on what would be a really good infield with Bichette and Biggio left to right as well, and then Guerrero at first base with all the way he's lost, too. What do you think about Justin Turner? Yeah, I think the Blue Jays are a real interesting fit for the many reasons that you mentioned, but I think you're right. The Dodgers are such a great fit for Turner, and they have been for the past you know, five or so years. I think he's... He really broke out in a Dodger uniform, and he's getting into the latter part of his career. So I think just because of the familiarity and in an un uncertain market, I think the Dodgers and Turner are going to reunite. And then the obvious guy, Eric Sogard. I mean, that guy's going to get you know probably something north of $300 million. I'd say the New York Yankees are going to go buy him. I'm ah, just kidding. Watch the Yankees sign no. him, though, to some minor league deal or something like that. Let's see it happen. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> Appreciate the humor there, but uh, we're going for the more realistic picks here because we already know uh, we don't want to mess up our streak of all of these picks that we know are going to be absolutely correct. So. <laughs> all righty, shortstops. We have some interesting names on here. Marcus Simeon, D.D. Gregorius. Algerton Simmons, let's start with the 2009 top three MVP finisher in Marcus Simeon. A lot of teams that need shortstops right now. Where are you looking at? Uh, I actually think the Cincinnati Reds are a great fit. They lacked offense this year despite all the big signings. But I think what they showed in last offseason is that they aren't afraid to go out on a limb and pay you know, a hefty price for some offensive guys. They were going crazy last offseason signing Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, they're going to think creatively, and I think, uh, you know, they, they're going to be the one who's going to offer Simeon 
the uh, deal that he's looking for. I think the A's are a good fit for Simeon just because that's where, you know, he spent his whole career. He's, he knows the Oakland area very well. But I think ultimately he's going to go for the deal where he gets the most, the most money. And I think that's going to be Cincinnati who pays him that money. I said Cincinnati too. I love to hear it. And I think he's a guy that is both one of the best defensive shortstops and when he's on, one of the best offensive shortstops. I know he had a very difficult year this season, but I was doing some research after, if you take out the first couple weeks of 2020, his WRC plus for the remainder of the season after that was 133. Remember how we talked about on la- on the last show, how much two or three weeks could impact your season. I think that's what Marcus Simeon, Simeon is a victim of victim of excuse me he had a good postseason as well I think that teams will value that a little bit and look back to 2019 I think it could hurt him a little bit but I still think he should make if we're taking away you know COVID-19 and the economy right now he would probably have made something around 13 14 million dollars and who knows he still can he made 13 million dollars in arbitration last year Reds are a perfect fit they haven't had a big name shortstop in a very long time another number six prospect Jose Garcia was up for a little bit but his timetable I think is a little bit farther in the future Simeon would be a really good fit for them in my opinion too Alrighty, other shortstops Didi Gregorius for me I was flip-flopping him with the Phillies and the Angels but I went with Simeon for the or excuse me with the uh, well the Phillies could be a good fit too but I was flip-flopping him with with the Reds and the Angels I ended up going with the Angels in this one one just because a good left-handed bat and a very right-handed heavy lineup you got what Trout Adele who obviously came up last season as well uh, Fletcher and a couple other big names too, Rendon, obviously. And not only that, but I think they can afford it. Their payroll is a little bit higher at about $170 million, but I think Didi Gregorius would be a good fit. It was rumored at the beginning of the season, I kind of looked at it with a little bit of a question mark above my head. But the more I look at it, and I give a lot of credit to you, Ryan, I don't think they should go out and necessarily sign a guy like Trevor Bauer. I think that they'd be better off you know, getting a guy like Gregorius or even Simeon, if you wanted to argue that, and then maybe live in the Ordorizzi, Tanaka sort of range in pitchers. But yeah, Didi Gregorius to the Angels. I know you disagreed with me on this one. What's your pick? Yeah, I thought uh, Gregorius back to the Phillies was the best fit, honestly. I was flipping between him and Simmons going to the Phillies, but I think Gregorius has the experience there. He's played there for his one season. He played very well last season in 2020. I think um, the Phillies are obviously going to have a hole at shortstop this offseason because of the fact that Gregorius is a free agent. And I think just bringing Gregorius back to fill up that hole, again, the experience he has in Philadelphia with this one year, I think that's the reason. I don't know if it's the best fit, but I think it's ultimately what the Phillies are going to go out and do because uh, they have a hole to fill, as I mentioned. Yeah. The way I looked at it, and I did think about the Phillies, I just thought – you have Segura, you could put him at short, and then potentially Kingry at second and Bohm at third. So I didn't know if it was necessarily what they like a top priority for them versus maybe getting the bullpen pieces. But I also do think they could afford to bring Gregorius back and still get a top-tier relief pitcher, which we'll talk about later. All righty, let's move out to the outfield now. We've covered all the infield spots, catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, and now third base as well. Left field now, Michael Brantley's the biggest name on that one, obviously coming off a tenure with the Houston Astros. I actually did consider him coming back to the Astros, but for me, the number one fit is I went with the White Sox. Again, we know how dominant they are with right-handed batters in that lineup. Need a designated hitter um, with Edwin Encarnacion leaving in free agency, and then you could put him in the outfield as well. Mazzaro, I know, has been struggling, but a veteran leader, a guy who has been so consistent over the years, and I want to see him make a World Series run as well. Obviously, he's gone to two and has missed both. I think he actually was hurt in the 2016 run with the Indians, but didn't win in 2019 with the Astros. Who are you thinking with for Michael Brantley? Uh, I have Michael Brantley going in the same division back 
reuniting with the Cleveland Indians. I, I actually it. want to go back to I want to go back to your White Sox pick for a second because I think that's really interesting. I didn't think of this too much, but you know, with Eloy Jimenez not being the great, greatest defender in left field, and Brantley obviously not being the fleetest of foot with his age, I think that would be an interesting flip-flop between those two, between outfield and DH, get them both off their feet and allow them to both focus on the offense a little bit more. But for me, the Indians desperately need offense in their outfield. They don't really have a DH at this point either. You could put Josh Naylor there, but I think maybe flipping Naylor and Brantley between left field and DH, similar to that White Sox hypothetical, I think for the Indians, uh, it's a great it's a great fit just because Brantley spent most of his career before his time with the Astros uh, in Cleveland. I think, you know, Cl- Brantley, the offense, returning to the Indians, a team that desperately needs offense, especially in the outfield, as I mentioned, that just seems like the best fit to me. No doubt. And I actually put that one down at first. I just thought that the White Sox with the situation there and maybe prioritizing that a little bit more. And I think, honestly, if they were able to sign Michael Brantley, that would be the finishing touches to what – Arguably will be one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. All right, we have a couple more here. Jock Peterson, Brett Gardner, some other notable names in left field. You got Peterson, who's just 29 years old. Gardner, who's 37. You know, I, it's interesting to think about Brett Gardner because he's been a career Yankee ever since, what, he came up in 2009, if I'm correct on that one. And he was in free agency last year, came back. Do you think they're going to try and reunite with Brett Gardner once again? I think they have to. It's very similar to the Yadier Molina situation. This guy's been a lifetime Yankee. He's such a steady presence in that clubhouse. I think you have to bring him back. All righty, then Jock Peterson as well. You know, he's an interesting one. I remember when he was traded to the – or said to have been traded to the Angels last year in that Mookie Betts saga. I thought that was a perfect fit for him. Now, obviously, the Angels have Adele coming up uh, as well and, and Trout and Upton. If it weren't for Upton, I think – Jock Peterson would be a fantastic fit for the Los Angeles Angels. What are some other teams that you think would work well for him? I don't know. I think Peterson's a real interesting fit for a lot of teams just because he hits right-handed pitching so well. I mean, this guy mashes right-handed pitchers. So I think it would be he would be a great fit for a lot of teams. But like you said, I actually think he would be a great fit for the Angels despite the fact that they have Upton and that they have Adele. I think if you give Peterson some... Uh, quite a few at bats in right field. They can spell Adele against a lot of uh, really tough righties who he struggled against a lot. I think he could stand to have a little more time in the minor leagues. I know he spent most of last season in the major leagues, but he struggled mightily. So I think if you bring Peterson in on a one-year deal, maybe he hasn't, it's a type of thing like, you know, we talked about Gauss and Stroman having one year to prove themselves. I think Peterson giving him a one-year deal to kind of, you know, reset and, show that he can maybe if a team offers him a chance to hit against lefties maybe he can prove to do that uh he didn't have a great year in 2020 and that's because there was a lot going on so i think that played a big role but uh i think for peterson i would not be surprised to see him sign a one-year deal and and uh bank on his performance this season going into next season no doubt and you know i i think a lot of people are afraid to put platoon on a player, right? Especially with a guy like Jock Peterson, who's a relatively big name, but that's been something he's been doing for with the Dodgers for a while now. As you mentioned, he hits right-handers very, very well. We saw him in the World Series. You know, they would not put him in against left-handers. He could get the opportunity to hit against lefties, but you're right, though. I actually think if you were to have Adele and Peterson split time, it would benefit both because it helps Adele you know, slowly groove his way into the big league level, and then hopefully maybe the year after that could be an everyday guy. Peterson then gets some at-bats against righties, gets the boost of stats too. 
Alrighty, let's move to center field now. We got some other names here, some familiar ones for you. Jackie Bradley, Kevin Pillar, both former Red Sox. But the big name is George Springer. I want you to start this one off. Where is Mr. Springing, Springer heading to this offseason? I have him going to the most exciting team in the NL East. Yes, I'm going to say the most exciting. That's going to be the New York Mets with their new owner, Steve Cohen. They are ready to spend. They are ready to compete. And Springer fills a massive hole in center field. Yes, they've had Brandon Nimmo, who's been fantastic offensively out in center field this past season. But I think you move Nimmo to the le- to the left field spot. J.D. Davis shifts into third. McNeil shifts from third to second. It all fits perfectly. The puzzle pieces align. They It makes them a better team. Offensively, it makes him a better team. Defensively, I think Springer to the Mets, a team that's ready to spend, a team that's ready to compete, it is a perfect fit. Yeah, I don't mind that one at all, especially you mentioned Nima, who uh, is a very solid piece, but also them just trying to fill in that center field spot with other guys too, like Billy Hamilton's and Jake Marisnik's. George Springer would be that guy that you sit in there and he's playing every single day. I actually did think about that, but because of some other moves that I predicted to happen, I thought that would be too much money to spend. So I had George Springer. Now this one's somewhat of a boldish take, you know, a lot like your LeMahieu to the St. Louis Cardinals. I have him going to the Cleveland Indians, and you talked about it earlier with Brantley. The Cleveland Indians have one of the worst offensive outfields in Major League baseball last year their outfield ops was 691 their outfield woba was 297 second worst in major league baseball right behind the miami marlins now part of that is is they had some guys that they were relying on like mercado really really struggled Uh, and then josh naylor coming over from the padres as well showed some life in the postseason but again like i said about george springer with the mets he's a guy you slit slot excuse me in there every single day can be at the top of the order provide some power and off base skills as well and I really do think even though the Indians seem to be wanting to shed so much money I think a part of that is trying to expand their window and they know that they probably can't afford to keep Francisco Lindor for that long with that big of a price so I don't think that means that they're going to try and rebuild almost kind of what we talked about with the Cubs earlier in the show I think they're just going to try and step back and I still think that George Springer would definitely be a necessary signing and justifiable for them and would kind of fix that problem both offensively and in the outfield. Yeah, I think two points, one that supports your take and one that kind of detracts from it. I think the fact that you could put Springer in the Indians outfield and the fact that the Indians have such a great rotation. I mean, we're talking about guys like Plesak and and, and the rotation all through and through is just really solid. I won't go through and list all the names, but I think Springer complementing that pitching staff with his offensive prowess would really help an Indians team that you know, is really on the edge of being an an elite team. If you just improve their offense, their pitching already is just very, very good. But uh, the one thing that I think kind of takes away from your prediction is the fact that, and, I, and we talked about this briefly, and you have a rebuttal to it, but how can you justify paying George Springer a lot of money when you're saying that you can't pay Francisco Lindor? You're losing one superstar and you're bringing in another. I liked Springer's fit with the Red Sox, but for the same reason, you just got rid of Mookie Betts how can you justify bringing in George Springer and paying him a lot of money? And I know your point, and you'll speak on this, is that, you know, Springer isn't going to make as much as Lindor bets. That's just the bottom line. But I think it's hard to justify bringing in Springer when you're not going to pay the hometown favorite guy. No, and I, I understand that, and I think that'll definitely be tough to see, but I think from a business standpoint, when you're taking all the marketing aside, I think that this will be better in the long run for the Cleveland Indians because you have a guy, and again, I don't necessarily know if the Indians, even with Springer, will be 
a division winner in 2021. But I can guarantee you it's the start to pushing forward. Even Jim Callis, a prospect guru, said they have such a sneaky farm system right now that I do think the Indians actually have a longer window than a lot of people think. And I think the reason why they want to flip Lindor is, one, I don't think he's shown much interest. I remember they were trying to sign him to an extension back three years ago, and the GM of the Indians' son said it on air in spring training. Nothing ever happened since then. And two, I think Lindor is looking for a type of contract, you know, that is in the Mookie Betts, Mike Trout area. Again, I don't think it'll be that much, but something north of $250 million. And I just honestly don't think the Indians want to commit to him. But I think Springer, who will probably be more in the 150-ish area, I think is affordable for them, something they'd be comfortable with, and that can help them progress towards the future and be ready for 2021. But more importantly, really 2022, 2023-ish, where I think they'll be back on top. Or It's a tough division, but I think they'll be pushing for the top of the AL Central. Alrighty, let's stick in center field now. I just want to talk about them because there's some hometown guys for you, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Kevin Pillar. Pillar's a little bit of a hard one to predict here because he's sort of a you know under the radar guy. But Jackie Bradley Jr., one of the best defensive center fielders and outfielders of the last five years or so. Do you have any idea where he could go? Do you see even the Red Sox potentially re- reuniting with him? I do have the Red Sox reuniting with him, and I think it's just because he's been the heart and soul of the Boston Red Sox outfield for the past really decade uh Bradley kind of came up with the Red Sox he came up a little bit too early back in 2013 shockingly I don't think a lot of people realize how early he came up struggled got sent back down came back up still struggled but then eventually broke out offensively he's really he has spent his whole career with the Boston Red Sox and it's really hard for me to see him anywhere else I think the Astros could be a fit because they're losing Springer but Kyle Bloom has raved about Bradley Uh, and how much he's impacted the ball club. So I could see him going out on a limb and spending a decent amount of money to try and retain him. I mean, I think it'd be a good fit. And as you mentioned, a spacious Fenway Park, especially into the gaps in right center and left center with the triangle in right center. He's familiar with it. It would just make sense. Fans would like it too. And he's been a productive player and a part of Red Sox history. You know, the ALCS MVP, part of the World Series run as well. It just makes sense. Um, Alrighty, right fielders, there's some interesting names on here. Nothing that jumps off the page. You got Adam Eaton, Cameron Maven, Yasiel Puig, who obviously did not play at all last year. Is there any of those guys that jump out to you with potential destinations? Uh, the one corner outfielder who stands out to me, I don't know if you mentioned him, but Robbie Grossman is probably the best corner outfield available. Potentially even better than Michael Brantley. We could dive into the stats a little bit more. But uh, he's a real interesting guy. I don't really have any predictions just because I was looking over mainly the top guys. But, uh, yeah, Robbie Grossman's a guy to keep an eye out for just because he's been so productive offensively and defensively. All right, designated hitters. This is going to be a difficult one because we don't know if the universal DH will be in play and likely won't know until towards the end of January, I believe, when the collective bargaining agreement is renegotiated. But the two big ones, Nelson Cruz and Marcel Ozuna. Let's start with Nelson Cruz. I love Nelly. He's great on the field and off the field, a Roberto Clemente nominee. I think he actually won, if I'm correct on that. Nelson Cruz, I think, should go back to the Minnesota Twins. They need to bring him back. He's not only the heart and soul of that team, but, again, just continues to get better with age. Such a solidified piece in the middle of that offense. It only makes sense to me. I I don't see him going anywhere else, to be honest with you. I have to wholeheartedly agree with you there. Cruz has meant so much to the Twins and their uh, Bomba squad over the past two years. I think uh, that's just a perfect fit. 
Marcelo Zuna, this one's going to be interesting as well. I started looking at, you know, maybe reuniting with the Cardinals because of their offensive struggles, even maybe the White Sox because they need a DH. But I ended up going back to the Atlanta Braves on this one just because how important he was for them and their success this year. Arguably one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball right next to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And look at how much it impacted Freddie Freeman. You had Ronald Acuna in front of him and some protection behind him and Marcelo Zuna. If there's a universal DH, I think there's no question that the Braves should bring him back. No doubt. And the universal DH, like you said, is the wild card in this situation. But I think if there's DH or no DH, Ozuna and the Braves are just a perfect fit. Obviously, he's not great defensively. He could even be considered a liability defensively. But put him in left field. He's such a force offensively and has meant so much to the Braves over the past couple months that they've had him that you have to bring him back. He complimented Freddie Freeman in their lineup and Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies in the whole lineup. He just compliments the whole lineup so well. Put him in that four spot and you'll be pleased with the results. Alrighty, moving to the starting pitchers. Let's start with the big dog, Trevor Bauer. I think arguably, or not arguably, I think he is that most highly touted free agent of this free agent class. Where do you see Trevor Bauer heading to? I see Trevor Bauer heading to San Diego. They just lost Mike Clevenger to Tommy John. They are in, they are a very competitive ball club in a competitive division. I see them bringing him in to head the rotation ahead of Lamette and company. I think he... On a one-year deal, I don't think they sign him long-term. I think he sticks to that one-year deal. And I think the Padres, like I said, have a need in that front of the rotation with Clevenger out for one year, bringing Bauer for one year and two former Indians pitchers, I know. Um, I think he fits well at the top of the rotation, and uh, I think the Padres are going to be ready to go for it. They were really competitive against the Dodgers last year, not so much in the playoffs, but I think with Bauer, it kind of puts them up to the top of the division. It makes it really interesting with them and the Dodgers. I thought about the Padres, especially even without Clevenger, I think they were still one pitcher away. They didn't need a Trevor Bauer, but now with Clevenger going out, you know, Trevor Bauer would fit in perfectly. But I did look at the Angels. I did look at the Blue Jays too, but I ended up going with the New York Mets. One, just because of what we've seen so far. Sandy Allerson, the current president for the Mets, new president after coming back after leaving for a couple of years, has even said that he likes Trevor Bauer's antics. He is the entertainment aspect of baseball is important to him. Trevor Bauer responds to him with a YouTube video. That shouldn't say too much, but it definitely shows some interest on both ends. But not only that, the Mets need another pitcher. Um, I don't think they want to rely on Steven Matz as that fifth starter. It would push David Peterson to probably their fifth starter this year. And then you get two of the best pitchers in the game, and Jacob DeGrom and Trevor Bauer. And the Mets can absolutely afford this, especially with the Cano suspension. Uh, their payroll right now is at about $140 million luxury tax at 210. So even with signing Real Muto and Bauer, you know, it's a lot of money, but 40 to $50 million would still give them 15 to $20 million of breathing room to work with up until the luxury tax. And who knows, maybe Steve Cohen wants to blow past the luxury tax. I don't think he will. I don't think he wants to make a statement like that in his first year, but it's definitely doable. I think Trevor Bauer's capable of pitching under the bright lights in New York, and the New York Mets are now a high-market team. I think technically they were always a high-market team, but they didn't play like it with the Wilpons top. But now I think they will be with Steve Cohen. I do say Trevor Bauer to the New York Mets. Another interesting one here that we have, Ryan, is Charlie Morton. Charlie Mor Morton, there was even question if he would be a free agent this year and just not retire. But he is coming back. He says he prefers the East Coast. Where do you think is a good fit for him? I think he's going to stay real close to Florida. I don't think he's going to stay in Florida like he's said he wishes to. But I think Georgia's pretty close and Atlanta 
has a need in the rotation, as we mentioned way earlier in the show when we were talking about Smiley. I think uh, the Braves are going to go out here and they're going to sign Morton to a one-year deal, potentially a two-year deal. I think Morton has a couple decent years left in him. The arm issues are a little bit concerning. Morton's an interesting case because, you know, his velocity was down this year, but it was up in the playoffs. He seemed to be building up through the playoffs. So I wouldn't be too concerned if I was Atlanta going out and signing him, but I think he's a veteran arm in a rotation with some young arms, and he could really be a solid piece for a competitive ball club. Absolutely. The two teams that jumped out to me were the Braves and the Phillies. I don't think the Phillies need a starting pitcher as much as the Braves, which is why I think he will go to Atlanta too, but going back to Philly would not be a bad choice either. Um, It's a little bit more north. You're right. Georgia is definitely closer to Florida. I think that is the pick to go to, and he would probably slide in right into that three spot as well for the Atlanta Braves, so I think that would be a good move. Another one, Masahiro Tanaka. I kind of alluded to this earlier in the show. I think Tanaka is perfect for the Angels right now. I think he would slide right into that one or two spot. You've brought it up a ton of times, and again, I'll give you credit once again. Uh, Bundy, uh, Canning, and Heaney is actually a much better top three than a lot of people think. And because of that and the offense that they have, I don't think they need to go out and buy a big-name starter. I think a guy like a Tanaka or an Odorizzi would work for them. What do you think about the potentiality of Tanaka in an Angels uniform? I think it's really interesting. I personally have him going back to the Yankees because I think he's more familiar with that. And we see a lot of times with players, I wouldn't say a lot of times because we just saw Ryu go to the Blue Jays, but a lot of times pitchers uh, from who are foreign, I think l- might be a little more comfortable sticking in a scenario where they've adapted to. And I think Tanaka has spent his whole career in New York since coming over from Japan. So I think that would be the more comfortable choice from him. But you have Otani with the Angels, so that could be interesting there. Um, so clearly the Angels do a good job, you know, assimilating uh, foreign pitchers into their um into their lifestyle. So I think that could be interesting, but I still think Tanaka has the familiarity with the Yankees. And I think the Yankees from their perspective really need him also in the rotation, which hasn't been so stable as many would think with the Garrett Cole signing. Uh, They've kind of had a lot of question marks in the rotation. Tanaka has just been so consistent over the past few years. Yeah. And to talk about the Yankees rotation a little bit, the amount of question marks, one, you're potentially losing Tanaka and Paxton. You have Severino coming back from Tommy John, but, who knows? Domingo Herman, who's a solid piece, he's pitching in the Dominican right now in the Dominican Winter League, but coming off the suspension, you have to even wonder if the Yankees would like to keep him because of that. There are a lot of question marks, and I do think there's some good options for them because, again, with Garrett Cole at the top, they do not need to go out and buy a Trevor Bauer, in my opinion, but there are some good options, and a Jake Odorizzi, if you want to bank on a Mike Miner bounce back, which I think is absolutely possible, I think they could go for some of those guys as well. A guy like James Paxton, I've been seeing this all over MLB Network, and I love it and I'm sure everyone can assume what's coming out of my mouth here, but the Toronto Blue Jays, going back to Canada where he grew up, I think it's a really good fit for a Blue Jays team that needs starting pitching depth. I know they brought back Robbie Ray, but James Paxton would be a good fit to slot right in the middle of that rotation as well. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Going over to another pick here, you mentioned him briefly, and I just want to mention this because you talked about me and my my thoughts on the Angels rotation. I think Odorizzi going to the Angels would be a great fit. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I just think him in the rotation, he's the guy who's been so consistent, really hasn't had, obviously, knock on wood here if uh, for Odorizzi, but he hasn't had any arm injuries in, you know, uh, a time in the game where we've seen so many pitcher arm injuries. He obviously missed some time with some other lower, lower body injuries uh, over the past few years, but I think Odorizzi to the Angels, they really need consistency, and when he's healthy, he's been fantastic, a really above average pitcher, Jake Odorizzi. Back to Paxton briefly, because I know you were just talking about him. 
I have to ask you a question because okay. we've talked about a lot of guys reuniting back here with teams. What about Paxson to the Mariners? Is that anything? Could you see foresee that happening at all? It's possible, and the Mariners do want an extra starter to you know either use his trade bait at one point or even see it blossom. I think they want to do what they did with Tywin Walker last year. I think that's absolutely possible. Paxson's a guy who Mariners fans love here. Uh, is tied for the franchise lead in ERA with three four two with Felix Iwakuma and Randy Johnson. So he has some good company there. I don't know if it's necessary to bring him back, especially with the flux of young pitchers the Mariners have coming up. I think they would rather take a guy, you know, of more of a veteran guy. Like even like I was going to bring up Mike Leake, bringing him back or something like that, where he could pitch, you know, maybe through April, May, and June, and then you could flip him for some prospects or some cash or something like that. I don't think the Mariners are looking for a guy that's more long-term, which I think Paxton is. Even with the injuries, I think he should be going to, or will be looking for a contract that's more than one year where he can, you know, find a home a little bit, and I think that's where the Blue Jays land. But I'm not going to put it aside because I think it's something the Mariners definitely will flirt with. But Mike Leake, I like a lot. And again, big – or actually, did you have a point back to the Paxton? No, no, no. Go ahead with Mike Leake. I have another pick later. I just didn't want you to move on because I'm really excited about this one. Okay, but go ahead. let's hear it. Okay, I, I was just going to say Mike Leake, people are forgetting about because he took last year off due to COVID-19. Uh, he opted out. But this is a guy who's incredibly athletic, won the gold glove for pitchers in 2019. And the most important thing to me that stands out is he stays healthy. The man pitches consistently 150-plus innings per year. And he's always been very solid, league average slightly above. And I think if a team wants to bank on a veteran for a 4-5 or five spot in their rotation, maybe an Angels team, maybe a Braves team, Mike Leake is definitely an under-the-radar pick where I think he's not going to be overwhelming in the salary uh, range. Or he's not going to have be asking for an overwhelming salary i think you could get him for something less than five million dollars and i think it could be a really good move for someone but what was your pick that you're super excited about john lester back to the boston <laughs> red sox let's make it happen he loved his time in boston the fans love him they need rotation help kind bloom let's make it happen hey you never know i know jared carabas is really pushing for it so we'll see if that happens i wouldn't mind that especially since he's getting towards the back end of his career why not retire in a Red Sox uniform. Relief pitchers, we have a ton. And I want to go back to a text conversation that you and I had about th two, three months ago about the Philadelphia Phillies. And I was harping on the Phillies for, you know, not going out there and trying harder to get any relief pitchers, which was ill-advised of me. And you brought up a great point. There just hasn't been too much of a reliever market the last few years. Well, this is the Phillies' chance. They notoriously have had the worst bullpen in the last couple of years. And maybe even at times it's not the worst but it hurts them the most for a team that's been trying to compete ever since, what, 2018. They had an ERA north of seven last year in their pen. Garnered, it was a small sample size, but still not what you want to see, especially since they were down to the final game of the season. Liam Hendricks is obviously the top guy. I think the Phillies have to pursue him. Do you see him going to the Phillies? I see the Phillies signing not only Liam Hendricks, but Brad Hand also. Okay. If I'm a Phillies fan, let's put it this way. If I'm a Phillies fan and we don't end up with one of the top three relievers on this market... I would be irate. They have their bullpen has cost them so many games. It cost them a playoff spot this past season. And there's no questioning that it did cost them a playoff spot. They blew more games than any other team in all of baseball. It was not even out. close. Yes, they finished they finished one game out. It, it, they may have potentially been in competition for the top spot in their division if they had just closed out games. It was unbelievable how bad they were. So if I'm the Phillies front office, there's no question you have to sign Liam Hendricks just to solidify the back end. I don't know if it's going to be the answer. Uh, the, the bullpen market is so volatile, but you have to at least 
take a shot at it. I mean, you have to just because it was such a glaring need. I don't think there's any other team at any other position around the whole game that has as glaring of a need as the Phillies bullpen. Uh, that's why I have them going out and signing Hendricks in hand. Will they do it? I don't know. They spent a lot of money on David Robertson a few years ago to try and shore up the bullpen. That did not work out. So I don't know if they're going to be a little uneasy pouring a lot of money into the bullpen. Again, like I said, it's such a volatile position. But in my opinion anyways, uh, I'm going to predict that they're going to sign Hendricks in hand because they have to shore that spot up. No, I like that. And I think they have to. And, you know, one relief pitcher is not going to do it. And I know Naris and... Sir Anthony Dominguez have been solid options as well when healthy too, but they need a guy at the back of their stable to use Kevin Cash's words. And Liam Hendricks should be that guy, Brad Hand, a guy who also has a lot of experience in those roles too. Just to take a look at some of the names you have on here, Kirby Yates, who obviously was out the entirety of the season last year. Again, one of the most premier closers when he was healthy. Uh, Brad Hand, as you said, Roberto Ozuna, again, there's some drama with him, but still very good. Uh, Mark Melanson, who's super steady with the Braves the last couple of years. Shane Green, very good. Trevor May, a guy who I think is perfect for the Mariners just because Jerry DePoto has gone out and said he wants to bring a, bring to Seattle a couple of reliable relievers. May, a Seattle guy, uh, really good pitcher. I think some teams will be heavy in on him, but I think the Mariners will definitely push for him. Alex Colomay, who was fantastic with the White Sox last year. Anthony Bass, another guy that I think the Phillies should pursue too because he's been really good with the Mariners back in 19 and had a good year with the Blue Jays this year. He's a cheaper option under the radar option there's no doubt that I think the Phillies should pursue that too and I think it's very feasible for them it could be a good seventh eighth inning guy if they need him to be but for the first time in a while we got a lot of options here on the free agent market in terms of relievers are there any other guys that jumped out to you uh, I don't know if you mentioned him you might have there were so many names that went through there and like you said it's such a deep market but Tra- Trevor Rosenthal I think pitched so well with the Padres and he seemed really comfortable and happy in San Diego and they have a hole with the closer spot obviously you could Drew Pomeranz has been so good that you could put him at the closer role, but I think he fits better in a setup position. So I think Rosenthal reuniting with the Padres would be a great fit. I think Cola May reuniting with the White Sox is a great fit because he's had a lot of success there and they're a real competitive ball club. And I think Kirby Yates going to the A's could be an interesting fit because he's a guy who was potentially, I, I considered him the best reliever in baseball over the past few seasons before 2020. He really broke out in a big way, and the A's, if they're going to lose, Hendricks should fill that role with a guy like Yates, potentially, who can be just as dominant. And Keone Kella, too, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I know you and I have talked about him the last couple of weeks, a guy who quietly has put up fantastic seasons in the past, again, when healthy. I know he's a guy that you want to come to the Red Sox, and he's expressed, expressed interest in that, but I definitely think he'll be on the radar of a lot of teams as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And another guy who's really interesting, who Mark Luciano, uh, draft neck Mark, as many people know him, uh, predicted that Brandon Kinsler was going to go to the Red Sox again. And I think that's an interesting fit. <laughs> like Mark said, he just kind of feels like a Red Sox player. And I think he'd be a great fit. The Red Sox have some needs at the back end of their bullpen as well. Please do not have Matt Barnes as the closer. Matt Barnes cannot throw a strike to save his life when he needs to. So uh, I would really rather not see him as the closer. So if they can bring in Kella and Kinsler, I think I'd be much more comfortable and hopefully uh, not have to not have to be taking some antacids there in the ninth <laughs> inning. Uh, that would that would uh, that would uh, save get, me a lot of stress. Let's get Matt Barnes on the show now. We have to after this. We have to talk to him about this. The man's. You have to take antacids before he comes on the mound. We we got to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's not let's <laughs> let's not do that. 
All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up today. Had a lot of fun on this one, a lot of free agent predictions. We got some Hall of Fame discussion maybe coming up. We don't know if it's going to be next week or not. We'll let you guys know. Max and I have filled out our ballots. We're working on it. We don't have the last spots finalized yet, but we will get those to you guys at some point this offseason. For Max Tanzer, I'm Ryan Medeiros. Thank you guys so much for joining, and enjoy the rest of your week.